Understand that Jesus is introducing a new way of life to the world. Next week in Sunday school, we'll look at the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is basically Jesus introducing a new way of life to the world. And if you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 with that in mind, it'll give you a perspective on what he's saying. He's teaching Christian discipleship. And as you proceed through and all through the Gospels, he's introducing a brand new way of life. Now here, in Matthew 13, he's giving what we call the kingdom parables. And when we see the kingdom of God right away, if you're not careful, you think that there's this place called the kingdom of heaven. Now there is a place called heaven. But when Jesus spoke of the kingdom of heaven, he was not talking primarily about a place. He was talking primarily about a lifestyle, an economy. In fact, in one place Jesus said, don't look for the kingdom of heaven here or there. The kingdom of heaven is within you. Does that mean that there's not a place with Gates of pearl and streets of gold and walls of jasper that the Bible describes? No, that's not what it means. That is our destination. That is where we will live. That is the place that Jesus promised in John 14. I go to prepare a place for you. But the kingdom of heaven ought to be in you. And if you're a believer, it is in you right now. The kingdom of heaven is the Christ-centered life. The kingdom of heaven is the biblical worldview. The kingdom of heaven is living with godly priorities. It is the eternity-focused lifestyle. The kingdom of heaven, and nobody lives the kingdom of heaven except the child of God. You can have two people, one saved, one lost. And one person, because he is living, he's saved and he's growing and God's doing the work of sanctification in his life. He doesn't drink. He doesn't uh, smoke. He doesn't, I'm just randomly listing things. He doesn't uh, go to parties. There's things that he doesn't do. And right beside him is a Mormon who doesn't know the plan of salvation, who doesn't understand justification, who doesn't understand the new birth. He doesn't believe that the Bible is the word of God and that the Bible alone is the revelation of God. And he's not saved. He's not born again. I'm not Mormon bashing. I'm just telling you, do not, by the way, do not believe people when they say, oh, Mormons, that's just, those are Christians. There may be some Roman, some Romans, some Mormons who are, there's probably some Romans who are saved, but uh, there may be some Mormons who are saved, but Mormonism is not a Christian religion. Anyway. And right next to this born again Christian is also a Mormon who doesn't drink and doesn't smoke and doesn't go to parties. But the born again believer is living the kingdom of heaven. And the Mormon is not. He's just trying to be moral. I'm saying to you, the kingdom of heaven is a lifestyle that is lived by the person. That's why go to John chapter, don't go there now, but John chapter 3. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Now, is that talking about the place called heaven? Yes, it is, but it's also talking about the lifestyle that you live right here. And until you're born again, it doesn't make sense to you. Every one of us knows somebody that the way we live does not make sense to them. They can't see it. Why? Because except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, Jesus is introducing the kingdom of heaven. He's trying to tell anyone who will hear, and some won't hear. But he's trying to tell anyone who will hear, this is what it's like. And he uses a series of stories, parables, to help people to understand. Now, we've taught, I've taught a series on the kingdom parables before. They all intrigue me, but there's something about this one that has always intrigued me in a special way. The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. The which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. So, guys walking across a field, just open lot, and he trips over something. He half looks at it as he's getting up, brushing himself off, getting ready to keep going, and he realizes that the thing he tripped over is sparkling. A little bit. And so he turns around and he looks and he realizes that what he tripped over is just the tip of a massive treasure in that field. Maybe it's a natural resource. Or maybe it's something that someone else at one point buried in that field. He doesn't, the Bible doesn't describe, but whatever it is, There is something of great value in that field that only the owner of that field can enjoy. So he covers it up. That's why it says it's hid, but he hides it. How is that? Because he covers it up. And he goes away and he finds the owner. And he finds out the price of the field. And... He makes up his mind. He decides whether or not it's worth giving up everything he has to purchase that field. Because once he owns that field, he owns everything in it. He sells everything he has. He takes the money from what he has sold. He goes to the owner. He pays the price. He gets the deed. The land is his. And the treasure In the land is his. And this is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. What's to be learned there? I'm going to give you things. Can you handle this number? Eight things. Oh, no, eight things. There are eight short things. Eight things to be gleaned from this parable. First of all, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure. This lifestyle. How many times do you hear Christians say, I wouldn't trade the Christian life for anything. And if you're sitting here tonight saying, I would, I dare say you haven't discovered it yet. Pastor, you tell me I'm not saved. I'm telling you, if you don't think that the kingdom of heaven is a treasure... 
you probably haven't found it yet. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure. There was a powerful man named Cornelius in the book of Acts. And Cornelius, he was a man of means. He was a man of authority and position. It appears that he had just about everything that a person in his day could want. But there was something missing. Because he was seeking the Lord and looking for that thing that was missing. And you know the story. I won't take the time to tell it. But God got a hold of Peter and said, hey, you need to go witness to this Roman. And Peter resisted at first. And then God gave him a vision and uh, used that vision to show him. And while he's trying to figure the vision out, somebody knocks at the door and Peter goes down. And and, and they answer the door and they go get Peter. And uh, they say, hey, there's there's a man that we've been, has sent us to come and get you because he needs to hear what you have to say. And Peter goes to Cornelius and wins him and his entire household to the Lord. Cornelius got saved. Cornelius knew in advance and then discovered that the kingdom of heaven is a treasure. And it is a treasure that he wanted. The kingdom of heaven is a treasure. The second thing I see in this verse, and I told you they were eight short points. The kingdom of heaven is hidden. If it weren't hidden, the whole world would want it. Why does God hide it? Because the only way we come to God is by faith. Never forget, there were people who looked and watched the very miracles of Jesus Christ and rejected him. They saw Lazarus raised from the dead and they said, we got to kill Lazarus and Jesus. They watched him raise from the dead. How is that? It's because there are certain people that are blinded to the treasure. God wants us to come by faith. The kingdom of heaven is hidden. That's why a deacon named Philip, God used Philip to go down to Samaria and actually follow up, I believe, in fact, I believe nothing. I think it's, it's pretty clear that Philip goes to Samaria and follows up on the revival that began in John chapter 4. And brings great revival there after the day of Pentecost. Revival breaks out so much so that the church of Jerusalem has to send two of its big guns down there. And again, God says to Philip, now you have to leave. If you were Philip, you might say, wait a minute, I'm the one that got the ball rolling here. Why do I have to leave? But Philip didn't say that. He said, yes, Lord, lead on. God led him out into the desert. And if you'd have been Philip, you might have said, Lord, you made me leave revival to come out here in the desert. And about the time you'd be objecting, which there's no sign that Philip did object, he saw a chariot going across the desert. And the soldier in the chariot was reading. The Spirit of God said, go jump up in that chariot. If you'd have been Philip, you might have said, why do I always get these crazy assignments? And he went running across the desert, went running up in the chariot. He said, what's your reading? And the soldier said, I'm reading this prophet here. And he happened to be reading Isaiah 53. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And Philip said, uh, what do you think? The soldier said, I, I don't really know what to think. How can I know what to think except somebody guides me? Philip said, well, I'm here to guide you. God sent me here to guide you. And Philip described what Isaiah 53 was prophesying, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ for our sins. About that time, the man looked up and he saw a body of water. And he said, tell me why I can't get baptized right now. He had heard about baptism, clearly. Tell me why we can't do baptism right there. Philip said, you believe Jesus is the Son of God? And the soldier said, I I believe with all my heart. They stopped the chariot and he went down and Philip baptized the soldier right then and there. The kingdom of heaven is hidden. It was hidden to the Ethiopian soldier until God sent Philip to witness to him. I said the kingdom of heaven is a treasure. The kingdom of heaven is hidden. Thirdly, I want you to notice the kingdom of heaven must be discovered. The kingdom of heaven must be discovered. This is very important for us to understand. This is very important for us to understand for our own children. We are not going to force the kingdom of heaven on our children. And some of the great tragedies that you will ever hear Tragic. I told you last week, uh, you adults that were in the session up here, about uh, tragedies that my wife uh, uh, interacts with folks. And, and I mean, just two more this week of just absolute tragic circumstances. And the bottom line of, of the tragedies were Christian parents who tried to force the kingdom of heaven on their children instead of equipping their children to discover the kingdom of heaven on their own. Now, wait a second. You say, you're not supposed to witness to your kids. I witnessed to all three of my kids the day they were born and kept them before the gospel all the time. But I waited for them to discover it for themselves. I waited for them to to say to me or to say to my wife or to say to somebody else, I want this for myself. The kingdom of heaven must be discovered. Jesus knew that. When he was traveling one day, and the disciples on their trip, they said, all right, we'll take a left at this uh, road up here. And Jesus said, no, we need to take a right. And the disciples said, no, you need to take a left, because if you take a right, you go through Samaria. We're Jews. We don't go to Samaria. And Jesus said, I need to take a right, because I need to go through Samaria. So they went through Samaria. Well, the disciples wanted nothing to do with being there, so they said, hey, We heard that there's a diner open down the road. We're going to go get us some lunch. Jesus said, okay, I'm going to stay right here. Jesus had an appointment because he knew that there was somebody there that needed to discover the treasure. And you know the story of the woman at the well. And Jesus put it out there so that she could discover it, and she did discover it. And she went to town, and that's the very, I didn't intend to line it up this way, but that's the very start of the revival that Philip reaped in Acts chapter 8. She went to town and she said, come see a man which told me everything I ever did. And she was exaggerating. He didn't tell her everything she ever did, but he told her enough that she knew this is no ordinary man. And she discovered it for herself. I love to read the stories like the story of the woman at the well where you can read it and see the light come on. 
And I mean, when I read John chapter 4, I can practically see the, the look on her face as Jesus is talking. And he says, I that speak it to, he, to, to you. Oh boy, I butchered that. He said, it's me. And she went running to town. The kingdom of heaven must be discovered. Fourth truth I see in this parable. The kingdom of heaven makes a person think. It makes you sort your life out. Don't ever forget that people are not necessarily going to get saved the first time they hear the gospel. Just like the guy in the field didn't buy the field the first time he found the treasure. People often need time. And I'm not trying to discourage you ever from trying to persuade someone to receive Christ. But I am trying to encourage you. You say, man, I witnessed them. I couldn't have been clearer. I could see. You, you've all been there. I could see it in their eyes. They were going to get saved. And then I asked them and they said, boy, I'm not sure. Not today. You say, what, do I, what did I do wrong? There may not be. Don't, don't look for a method that's going to push it, push it over the line, push them over the edge. It has nothing to do with your salesmanship. It very well may be that's the first time they ever saw the treasure. And they said, you know what, i got to cover that back up and think about this for a while. Nicodemus, his whole life was invested in a certain way of thinking. And he went to find Jesus by night because his whole reputation was at stake. And so he caught Jesus in the shadows and he said, "Ah, I'm trying to sort this thing out. He didn't say that, but you can hear that in his question. As he's trying to weigh it and say, We know you're a teacher come from God because no man can do these miracles except God send him. And just before he says, but Jesus says, yeah, and except a man's born again, he can't see the kingdom of heaven. And that makes Nicodemus even more confused. Why? Because he's trying to sort this thing out. And I think it's interesting that John chapter 3 never tells us whether or not Nicodemus got saved. Maybe he didn't get saved there. But I think as you proceed through the Gospels and you see Nicodemus' participation, I think it's a clear indication that he did get saved. Why doesn't John 3 tell Hey, John 4 tells us that the woman in the well went running to town. She clearly got saved. Why couldn't God let us in on whether or not he got saved? Because maybe he didn't get saved there. Maybe he just covered that treasure back up and said, Man, i got to think about this some more. The kingdom of heaven makes a person think. Let me just say, God's people, we need to be thinking people. We need to have some depth to us. You realize that whole thing that we witnessed this morning? By the grace of God. I love what he said at the end in, in, in Russian that uh, God gave me a big head because I needed to fill it with knowledge. That's a thinking man. We need, to, we need to have some depth. We need to be thinking people. The kingdom of heaven makes a person think. And Nicodemus weighed these things when he said, man, I, I, 
Look, this is my identity. It's, I was raised in this. I'm, I'm privileged to be a Pharisee. And I bet he spent a little while saying, I wonder if there's any way that I could follow Jesus and still remain a Pharisee. Hey, maybe I could follow Jesus and I could win all, the, all my friends, the Pharisee friends, win them over. Maybe I could do that. Whatever the case, Nicodemus had to think about things because the kingdom of heaven makes you think. Number five, the kingdom of heaven will cost you. Now, let me say again. Getting saved may cost you something if you're truly turning your heart to the Lord and you, the Holy Spirit says you need to let go of that. It, it, it'll, it'll cost you some things, but, but discipleship costs you your whole lifestyle. The kingdom of heaven in the sense of Not just the straight gate, but the narrow way. The narrow way. Don't ever forget that it's a narrow way. The narrow way will cost you. Because there's not a lot of room for baggage. The narrow way will cost you. The kingdom of heaven will cost you. There were some godly women in this area, this, this twin city area called Derby Lystra. There was a godly grandmother and a godly mother, and they had a young son named Timothy. And it appears that while Timothy was weighing his mother's faith and his grandmother's faith, that a preacher came to town. And somewhere on that preacher's visit, he was stoned nearly to death. But he got up and he went back, he went to the next town, and then after he left that town, he came back to the town where he had been stoned. And then on his next trip, he went to that town again. And I feel like it was about the second or third time that Paul came that that son and grandson of Christian ladies had weighed out. He had discovered this treasure and trying to decide whether or not he wanted to buy in. And at just the right time in Paul's ministry, by God's grace, Timothy said, uh, I'd like to go with you. And Paul had just fired, if you will, not fired, but he had rejected the application of John Mark to go with them again because John Mark had quit on the first journey. So Paul needed a young man for sure, but I'm sure also that Paul said to him, now look, son, this is not as easy as you may think it is. You're going to be sleeping under the stars a lot of nights. You're you're going to go without food a lot of the time. And don't think this is just preaching. There's a lot of hard labor involved here. There might even be times when your life is at risk. Now, are you sure? Are you, young man, are you sure this is going to be your whole life? Don't think that just because you were raised in a Christian home, 
that the kingdom of heaven isn't going to cost you anything. It's going to cost you to live the Christian life and to be a disciple of Jesus Christ just like it will anybody else. And you've got to discover that treasure for yourself and you've got to sell that field for your, sell, sell your possessions for yourself and you've got to buy that field for yourself. The kingdom of heaven will cost you. Number six, the kingdom of heaven brings joy to the one who discovers it. The Bible tells about a lady that, well, let's back up before we tell the lady's name. I love the story. It was shortly after Timothy had joined the team. And Paul and Silas went to a new town. And they were always looking for the people that were looking for God, just like we say, just like Pastor Clark has told us. And I fell in love with that statement first time I heard it. They were always looking for the people that were looking for God. And so they heard about a ladies' prayer meeting on a hillside. And Paul says, the Silas has crashed that ladies' prayer meeting. You want to? Okay. So there's these ladies on the hillside by the river at their prayer meeting. And Paul and Silas show up and hey, we were wondering if we could uh, pray with, with y'all. And some of the ladies, I think, didn't care for them to be there because only one of the ladies responded in a positive way. It was a lady named Lydia. And they're starting to talk about, you know, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And it appears that most of the ladies in that prayer meeting said, yeah, we, we, we got our thing, we're all set. We, we, we do our thing here and we, we worship God in our own way, we're good. But one lady, this lady named Lydia said, um, Don't mind them, I'd like to hear what you have to say. And Paul and Silas, they continue to talk, and Lydia gets saved. And Lydia's life has changed. And she becomes a charter member of the church there. And God uses her greatly, so much so that God chose to put her, of all the people that got saved and all the churches that got started, God chose to put her story in the book of Acts. The kingdom of heaven brings joy to the one who discovers it. Listen, you've got to go through a lot of shut doors to get to that person that says, tell me more about what you're talking about. You've got to go through a lot of slam doors and a lot of people who say, no, thank you, and a lot of, people, a, a lot of coworkers who, who laugh at you and, and mock you, make fun of you, to find that one coworker who... At the right moment, and by the way, let me say, not, not on the clock, unless that's somehow appropriate, your job. But somebody maybe that approaches you after work in the parking lot and says, uh, I see you reading that Bible all the time. T- tell, me, tell me about your God. Yeah, that never happened. It's, it's happened to me. It's happened to other people in this room. But it takes a lot of mockery in the break room to meet that one person. It takes a lot of rejection, a lot of snubbery to have the opportunity with that, that one coworker that will listen and will get saved. The kingdom of heaven brings joy to the one who discovers it. What I'm saying is be willing to pay the price to go through all the no's to find the one yes. We get so scared of the no's 
that we forfeit the yes. You got to go through a lot of no's to get to the yes. Number seven, seventh truth in this passage, the kingdom of heaven makes a person happy to pay whatever it costs them. That guy, he found the treasure. He, he goes out and he sells all that he has. He might have sold some pretty valuable things. But he was happy to do it because of what he got in return. When you sell out for God, you're always glad you did. I've never met anybody who said, well, you know what? I gave up this opportunity. I had this talent and I gave it and I, and I, I did it to serve the Lord. And that was 25 years ago and now I regret it. Never do. Never have met anybody like that. Why? Because when you sell all to give your life to the Lord, to be his disciple, you're happy to pay whatever it costs. This man named Saul, he was walking through this field as a Pharisee. And he had seen and heard things that made him believe there was a treasure in this field, but he didn't want to admit it. Because his own faith was so precious to him. And it came to a climax as he was in charge of an execution. And some men filled with rage cast stones at one of these Christians and stoned him to death. And just as he was getting full satisfaction out of watching this young Christian's skull be crushed and die and bleed that young man looks to heaven and you could see on his face that he saw something you could see on his face that what he had was real and then he dies he speaks some words to Somebody that he apparently sees and then he drops dead. And, and I have no doubt that the sight of that young man, Stephen, haunted Saul. As he walked through that field. <laughs> he tried to cover up that memory and he couldn't. And as he proceeded and he goes and he gets some warrants. And even as those warrants are being sworn out, he can't get that picture out of his head. And he tries to knock it out because he's so loyal to his own faith. And then, of course, on his way to Damascus, the treasure shows up, meets him face to face. Said, Saul, aren't you tired of running, boy? How long, how long can you, how long you think you can do this? It's hard, isn't it, to deny what you've seen? I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that's what Jesus said to him. And Saul gets saved. And he doesn't just get saved. He, he sells it all to get the treasure. And boy, did he ever get a treasure kingdom of heaven makes a person happy to pay whatever it costs number eight don't miss this the kingdom of heaven is the same 
but the field is different for everybody. The treasure is always the same. Now, you'll get, you may get a different aspect of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, nobody's connection to God is exactly the same. Every one of us has a unique relationship with God, but the product is always exactly the same. I don't get one Jesus and you get another. I don't have one Bible and you have a, a different one. Well, unless you've got an NIV in your lap. But there's not one set of truths for me and another one for you. We all get the same product. God reveals himself to us in different ways, but it's the same product, same treasure. But the field is different for everybody. And don't, don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget. Now, be sure when somebody gives their testimony, be sure. I'm talking about you're just reading somebody's testimony in a magazine or you're hearing somebody give their testimony, you know, on some show or something. Make sure they've got the treasure. Because I've heard some folks talk about getting God, and I go, I'm not sure you got the same thing I got, dude. The treasure's always the same. But the field is always different. There's no two testimonies that are alike. And your discovery of the treasure is going to be different than someone else's. And that's why it ought to always intrigue us to hear people's testimony. Don't ever get bored and say, oh, it's testimony time. Just one more person saying, they told me I was a sinner and I was sinners of loss and Jesus died for me. Oh, testimony time. First of all, you ought to never get tired of hearing that story, the gospel. That's the treasure, but how they got there, that never gets old. Because when somebody gives their testimony, what they're telling you is the field that they were walking through when they stumbled across the treasure. And I want to hear that every time. I want to hear about the field that you were walking and how you were walking and how you happened to trip over it. And what you had to sell to get the field. I want to hear that story. I want to hear every version of that story. The kingdom, the treasure is the same, but the field is different for everybody. One of the most unique stories in the Bible. And they're all unique. But... This guy's something different about this story. This guy was in charge of putting Paul and Silas in jail, and he was in charge of keeping them. And there he is, and he's asleep, and at midnight, Paul and Silas, as they sang to the Lord, an earthquake comes. And everybody, the the walls are open, so all the prisoners could have gotten out, which would have meant execution for the guy in charge of them. And he comes running in with a light and with his sword drawn. He is ready to kill himself because he knows he's going to die anyway. And all of a sudden, he cries out to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And the greatest, most concise answer Anywhere in Scripture, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And that night that man got saved and his family got saved and they all got baptized. His story is unique. Nobody, I mean, when it's testimony time, I'm sure. And and, and by the way, don't forget, he became a part of the church of Philippi there to whom Paul wrote the book of Philippians. 
I bet testimony time at the, at the Church of Philippi, I mean, can you imagine those folks? They probably could all tell that story because they'd heard it so many times. Oh, yeah, you were on duty that night, and you were the jailer, and they could probably go through every detail of the story, and I'll bet his testimony always ended with, in fact, let's all sing that song that Paul and Silas were singing that night, and they sang it with them every time. The treasure's always the same, but the field is different. Now, let me wrap it up. There's so many, so much for all of us to take from the things that we've seen in this verse tonight. But here's the application I'm going to make, and we'll be done. I want to put the gospel with all these things in mind that we just saw, that everybody's got to find the treasure for themselves. I want to put the gospel where searching people can find it. It's kind of ironic and kind of hard to put into words. Well, wait a minute. If people have to find the treasure, why is it my job to go and give it to them? And why have I put it right in front of so many people and they've rejected it? Because they've got to find it. But here's what I want you to notice about all eight of the examples. All eight of these people discovered the treasure for themselves, but... There was somebody there to give it to them. There was somebody there with the treasure when they were ready to find it. And I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy, the guy that when someone trips over the treasure. I want to be the one holding that track. I want to be the one with that open Bible in my hand. I want to be the one at their doorstep when they all of a sudden, what? I've never seen this before. I've never seen this before. And if I can't be the one, I want you to be the one. In fact, we can be the one together, me at one place and you at another place. I want us to be a people that put the treasure where people can find it so they can trip over it and discover it. The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Father, I pray tonight that you would help us to be burdened for the souls of men. Oh, Lord, it's my wish and my desire, and I'm sure it is for everyone here, that every person in the city of Danbury find this treasure and buys it. I know it's the desire of every person here that every member of our family find that treasure and sell all they have to buy it. Lord, it's the desire, as a man told me this morning, my, my, if I could have one wish, as, simplest, as simplistic as it was, it was a wonderful sentiment. If I could have one wish, it would be that everybody in the world would be saved. Lord, I pray that you would help us to put the treasure where people can trip over it and want it and give their soul to the care of the Savior. Let's all stand together tonight. I hope there are many different ways that the Lord might have spoken to your heart tonight. This is a very, very